welcome to Driving the Trains with Steve McKay. Hi folks, I'm here with John Tamplin, the owner of Deep Thought Games. Um, for those of you who don't know, which is I think impossible, Deep Thought's been around many years and they've been instrumental and probably the uh, most instrumental in keeping uh, 18xx alive and vibrant for many, many years. Uh, welcome, John. Hello. Um, why don't you talk to us a little bit about the early years of Deep Thought? Uh, any memorable stories? Anything uh, folks would like to hear? Well, so the, the way I got started was uh, in maybe 2004, I had seen uh, uh, print and play versions of uh, 18EU and I printed it out, made a copy, decided I liked the game, and I uh, contacted the author, uh, David Hecht, uh, who, uh, and I asked him why it hadn't been published, and basically said there, there wasn't a big enough market and no interest, and so it was hard to build a copy of the game, so nobody really did it much. So I decided I would uh, look into uh, what it took to actually make a, a production of that, and uh, talked to a number of people uh, building a similar level of games like uh, Victory 2, it was a, a, a war game, and uh, came up with ideas of how I would accomplish all of that, which is uh, a laminator that I could make maps on a, a foam core pouch board, uh, laminate and die cut tiles and certificates and so forth. And so basically built up a, a bill of materials for the hardware, and figured out how much labor it would cost and uh, decided, okay, I could do this for this amount of money, which seemed like it was still gonna be a pretty expensive game. So I, I talked to uh, some people, did some polls in the Yahoo group and uh, decided that there were enough people who would pay what it would cost to do that and decided to start making it. Awesome. Yeah, I think a lot of people who uh, aren't in 18XX, they take a look at one of the games and kind of go, that was $100? Like what is that? It's like, oh, the enjoyment I get out of that game is worth three times that price. <laughs> Don't look at the components, you know, look at the, the entertainment value in, in that box. So, Well, speaking of the components, one of the things I decided early on, because I, I had seen some of the early ones like uh, uh, Chris doing them uh, before, and he had really got out of the market uh, before I started into it. And I decided I really wasn't happy uh, producing something like that. And so part of the, the requirements was coming up with something that I'd be happy with the results. And uh, it takes quite a lot of effort. Uh, a typical game is between uh, two and three hours of labor, uh, bending over a laminator and die cutter. So. Yeah, you couldn't get me to do it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't do that. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's it's funny because you've got like GMT and some of the you know more modern publishers getting in and they're they're printing the tiles on on nice cardstock and you know that's kind of in theory in your head you're like yeah that's really nice but you know the little the plastic laminated tiles those travel pretty nicely you know they're they're pretty darn nice so um, yeah it's I think you made a lot of good choices there um, any uh, anything from the early years any like designs you got in that you know you thought would uh, really sell well and then didn't end up being that good? Or um, Talk to me a little bit about the, like the prototyping process when you work with designers. Um, so it depended on the, the designer. Uh, yeah, some of them, uh, they would have already had play tested by 
20 different groups in different countries without them being present and so forth. And uh, others, it's like they've played it and nobody else. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the ones that have been play tested widely and you know, the designers worked at trying to break the game and stuff like that, they're generally ready to publish just clean up components for uh, usability, uh, clean up the rules, things like that. And then the others take quite a lot of effort to actually get a, a workable game out of it. Awesome, awesome. Um, <clears throat> is there any uh, title that you, you, you really liked, but you, you did somehow they decided not to publish with you? or? Uh, well, there was a 18 kit, uh, which is uh, from Todd, and I don't remember the last name, a uh, guy on the West Coast, Blind. Uh, he, he had won a, a lot of tournaments, and uh, the, the core feature on it was you had hex tiles uh, that were kind of super hexes. Uh, that you build a map out of. So it was a random setup. Ah. And uh, in a way, I kind of like that. I, I, I've played chess for a lot of years, and one of the, the uh, variants that I liked playing was wild chess, where you randomize the order of the pieces on the back row. Ah. And so what that gets you is you get out of book openings. It's like, okay, we do this thing, then you do that thing, and then I do this other. Uh, and instead... Both players have the exact same situation, but they have to learn on the fly and react to it. And so you get a lot of replayability about it. And uh, like, I wouldn't even play 1830 with uh, some of the the sharks that have been playing it a thousand times because everything that I would uh, do in the game, they already have a response to and they know, oh, if he does that, I do this. And so there would be no point in even playing it. So uh, I, I like the idea of uh, a replayable one, but in the playtesting, I really had trouble even getting people uh, interested to try it. Huh. And uh, so I think the, the big problem was that uh, there's a, a, not necessarily a requirement for historical accuracy, but it needs to be a historical uh, location and uh, people are interested in it. For, for example, I, I get a request of, well, why aren't you doing a game in my country? Well, no designer has given me a game in that country. <laughs> you hear that, designers? <laughs> uh, it, but so they, they want a connection to it, and you don't have any connection to a, a random place. So we worked on it for a while, uh, tried it out, and then decided that there simply wasn't enough interest to go forward. Plus, the, the manufacturing was going to be a huge pain with those uh, map tiles. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe someday we'll all get to see that. Do you do you, do you also play non eighteen XX games? Is I there... do. All right. What what's some of your other favorite games? Uh, well, probably my favorite is a game you probably haven't heard of called uh, Funkenschlag. I have uh, not heard. Uh, it was published in the U.S. as uh, Power Grid by ah. Friedman Fries. Okay. Uh, but I really hate uh, Power Grid because they took everything that I liked about Funkenschlag and broke it. Uh, so the original game had really horrible components and uh, you had kind of a wax paper map that you rolled up to fit in the box and of course that meant it never laid flat and uh, you would randomly choose a section of the map to not be in the game but that didn't work very well because now you have to go around that section of the map and then you you draw an electrical network uh, with uh, crayons was the way it was done 
And so uh, that was actually what got me into uh, hand-making games in the first place, was I really love this game. I, I love the, the balance of timing and how you can't really afford to, to stay in the lead the whole time. You have to strategically choose when you want to be in the lead. Mm. And uh, so I made my own map tiles for it uh, that were hexes and you could mix and match and you could build a random map each time. So you had good re replayability. You drew in it with uh, like uh, dry erase markers so you could wipe it off easily. And uh, I actually have a copy of it here if uh, you want to see it. All right, we'll have to take a look later. Maybe I'll put some pictures up on the Twitter feed. So, all right. Let's see now. Now, did you publish G eighteen GB? Yes. Okay. So that, and I think that's the most recent title, right? Of you. Correct. Yeah. Are you still actively looking for new titles, or designers still reaching out to you? And um, somewhat. Uh, yeah, I've, I've had some people uh, talk to me about games, and one of the big problems is trying to get something that uh, feels. Uh, unique enough uh, to be worth publishing and uh, plays well. And that goes back to the earlier discussion about uh, playtesting. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I find it, if a designer has only ever playtested it in games where they're present, it hasn't been playtested at all. Uh, and so you know, I, I'll get a couple of them and uh, we play it, uh, sometimes here, sometimes going up to Mark Derrick's house. Uh, I, I live in Atlanta, so it's a, a couple hour drive away. And uh, then we play it and we find, oh, this is totally broken. Uh, you know, if somebody does this, uh, then uh, the game's not interesting. And uh, another thing that comes up that really hurts a game is if you try and put in rules that force uh, historical accuracy. So uh, you must build across here and, and then you wind up with a game that, that simply play by numbers that, well, this is the only way the game ever develops. And uh, so it's not very interesting from a game uh, standpoint. You know, the, these are all necessarily ahistorical simulations. And if you try and make them too historical, that just doesn't work. Uh, so there, there's a number in uh, varying stages of uh, talking with them, trying to uh, get changes made. But uh, I ran into a lot of resistance when you know, the designer has, th this is their baby that they've been working on for a long time and uh, then don't really want to, to make big changes. Um, there was a, a game from Germany that I talked with it and uh, after making some suggestions, it was like, no, I'm not willing to, to change those. It's like, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've, you've got a recipe on how to publish yourself, so they can go ahead and do that, right? <laughs> All right, folks, so you, you now have a recipe. We need a, a geography and a little history. And hey, let's, let's go to some new countries. Um, play test the damn thing. Have other people play it while you're not in the room and tell you and, and, and accept their feedback. Um, so, and, and not too much... Um, of a programmed uh, start. So we've, we've got a good recipe there. I think that uh, that can accurately be said that many of my favorite games don't feature a programmed start. Um, you've already mentioned, you know, historical accuracy. Um, how, I mean, how loosey-goosey does that, you know, do you like to see a game if the game is, you know, I mean, yeah, if, if the game's too historically loosey-goosey, are you just gonna 
Look well, at for it, me personally, I, I could care less as for, you know, if I'm playing a game, I'm playing a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'll play abstract games that have no connection to reality. Uh, but uh, I think uh, from the 18-kit discussion, to a lot of the potential customers do require some level of historical connection. Okay, awesome. Okay, so the the board game landscape and the 18xx landscape is is changing a lot. I feel like in the last three to five years, um, you see articles in the New York Times about the renaissance of board games and how board game markets really exploding. And I've I've gone to some conventions that that uh, used to be you know maybe like 800 people, and last year were 3,500 people. And so the 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 board game landscape is changing a lot, and 18xx is becoming much more popular. I'm a I'm a fairly new person to it. I've only got a couple of years in, um, and um, but I play with people who are newer than me and a lot more newer than me. Um, and you know some of the other publishers, All Aboard Games, Scott, he's starting to do mass production and do less small batch production. Um, talk to me a little bit about about Deep Thought. Um, where are you on this sort of landscape? What's your plans? Um, what what are you thinking about? Yeah, I, I agree. The uh, ability to have uh, a cheap, uh, re- reasonable quality production has uh, made a big difference. It, uh, when I first started on this, uh, it simply wasn't going to be viable for me to produce games that might sell uh, a thousand over five years. Uh, through traditional print methods. Uh, you know, somebody like GMT with their P500 could do it. But you know, if I've got 22 games in print, uh, that's an awful lot of inventory and I don't have room <laughs> or the money to uh, do that. No five-car garage on that house, huh? <laughs> uh, so uh, as far as you know, deep thought going forward, um, ever, ever since we switched to the quadfold map, uh, it requires a, a larger uh, label printing uh, on the printer to uh, put on the map. And my personal printer, which is exactly the exact same model that uh, Jeff uses and is a slightly earlier version than what uh, Scott uses, if I print on the 13-inch paper, it smears the bottom inch of it. And I have no idea why. Rico doesn't have any idea why. And so... Uh, the best guess is just buy another one. Well, those are not cheap printers and there's no guarantee that I won't have the the same problem. Uh, I would also uh, have to get a different laminator uh, for the way Jeff does it. So ever since we switched to that, uh, Jeff has been doing most of the deep thought uh, production on that. Uh, Also, uh, at the time, I didn't have a lot of free time, so he was already starting to do most of it and I was just doing invoicing and so forth. Mm Uh, so we're getting behind on the queue on that and uh, then introduced the priority queue uh, method, which the idea was, well, people who were in a hurry could pay more and they could get their game earlier. Uh, I would say that hasn't been a success because what's happened is uh, Jeff has now been saturated with priority queue orders. And so uh, there's very little movement on the non-priority queue. And so all we did is just move from one queue to a different one. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Jeff gets here today, and we're going to be talking this weekend to figure out what we're doing going forward. Uh, there are several options. Uh, I'm retired now, so I could have more time. And uh, if I bought the extra equipment, I could get back into uh, manually producing the games myself. Uh, 
you know, we could increase the uh, output on Jeff's side. Uh, he right now just uses whatever kids uh, are, are home to work on it. Uh, or uh, we could take uh, Scott's approach, uh, which is uh, basically getting them printed in China and uh, selling it, which he's doing for 1817 and 18 Mex. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen the. Uh, yeah, we the played uh, the new copy of 18 Mex last night. Looks fantastic. Um, the uh, the prototype they sadly cut Mexico City in half. So um, Mark made sure wanted us to make sure we called out Scott that uh, he's 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 damn angry about that. No, actually he was joking. But uh, but the the printing is great. I really like if you do do go that way. I love the uh, charters, the cardstock and the print finish that he chose for the ch charters is fantastic. Just really nice satin finish um, and uh, really nice weight stock. Um, I want Lonnie to uh, pick up on that. <laughs> so, so that's one option. Uh, you know, also, GMT printed uh, uh, 1846, which that was actually uh, neck and neck with 18EU uh, for the most copies I've sold of any game, and yet they still sold out their uh, P500 run. So uh, I thought that was pretty impressive. Uh, sure, there's overlap that some of the people who had uh, of 46 from before bought an, a newer copy, but there's probably a, a lot of people who never had it that still uh, were interested in buying it. So uh, even though you might feel like the market's saturated, then maybe it's not. And we'll, we'll find out the same thing with uh, Mex and 17, mm -hmm. uh, with Scott producing it to see how well those sell. So I, I think that is an option. I don't know that that's gonna be an option for all of the back catalog. Uh, you know, I, I just don't know how much uh, of some of these games that, you know, the, the risk is you, you buy, uh, you, 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 uh, you have to get enough sold up front to pay for the cost. And then you sit around with a whole bunch of boxes in storage and sell them over time to actually make a profit on it. And I don't know how many uh, titles I'm willing to do that for and how much risk. Uh, willing to take on that. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the sad things I see about about All Aboard is that they had some games that were good, but not the top sellers. And, you know, those are on hiatus right now. We don't know the status of those, and we don't know if we'll ever see those. And so, um, I mean, I think there's some collectors out there, <clears throat> myself included, that I've got the the 10 games that make it off the shelf like once a month. And then I've got the 20 games, some of which I've never played, and I'm, I take a look at it and I go, yeah, I, I don't. Like every time I try to take it off the shelf and convince my buddies to play it, they're like, yeah, I've heard that that's not very good. Let's play something that's good. And I'm like, but let's do it once at least. Let's see why it's not very good. You know? <laughs> so I can understand you don't want uh, a garage full of, yeah, that's not the best game, but I'm willing to own a copy of it um, sitting in your garage. Um, well, I, I certainly hope that... Um, that whatever you guys do, that it does alleviate a little back pressure on that uh, the wait list. Because I know, you know, for those of you out there, the best way to get uh, your game on that wait list is to come to Chattanooga or Portland or someplace that Jeff goes to and uh, have him hand deliver that copy. Saves on shipping too, so you know that's a great thing. Um, this has been awesome. Anything else you want to add? Anything else you think people would be interested in hearing about? Or you got any new titles that you want to like? You know, maybe. Should drop a little publicity on? Or well, one that's been going on for a very long time is uh, Tom Lehman's 1834, and it's kind of been in the same state of 
waiting for him to come up with the, the final rules that he's happy with. And uh, of course, he's got many other games going on that are much more profitable than 18xx. So, but not as well uh, loved. I mean, uh, come on, you know. <laughs> it, what what I'm thinking of doing is uh, uh, taking a shot at writing the rules. And like, okay, I've done that. Here, just tell me what you want changed, and maybe uh, we can get that kickstarted. Because I think the the game mechanics itself are uh, completely done, ready, and they have been uh, for ten years. So. All right, Tom, do you hear that? Let's <laughs> let's let's get on the stick here. <laughs> All right, well, thank you very much for your time. This has been awesome, and uh, let's go play some games. All right.